Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll go to Portland to speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about the moves that Portland has made in the free agency period to strengthen their team. We go to Charlotte to speak with Walker Mail of Locked On Hornets about the drafting of LaMelo Ball and, of course, the big free agency splash of Gordon Haywood. And lastly, we go to Detroit to speak with Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons about whatever it is that Detroit's doing. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, we are back for another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the Locked On AFL Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Free agency has started off. There's some uh, there's some moves happening, that's for sure. So we're going to talk about some of the interesting ones across the league. So let's get to it. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Blazers Podcast. Mike Richmond is here with me, Mike I feel plenty of teams in free agency have gotten worse. Portland is not one of those. I think they've uh, really, you know, and there's, it's been a common trope that Neil Olshay doesn't care about forwards. But all <laughs> he's done really in this offseason is bring in forwards. Traded for Robert Covington. Resigned Carmelo Anthony. Signed Derek Jones Jr. Resigned Rodney Hood. Uh, brought in Ennis Cantor. Uh, today that they signed uh, Harry Giles. So a real strengthening to that front court to the point, Mike, where... How these minutes are going to be apportioned is a really interesting question. But for a team that literally had no small foot on their roster heading into the Orlando bubble, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, they went from basically not having this position all of last year. You know, they started um, the beginning of last season, even before the bubble, with their only true power forward on the roster being Anthony Tolliver. So they've come a long way. We've come a long way over the last 13 months uh, to have a ton of them. But I do think you're right that it's it's going to be a challenge for who plays. You know, there was a cryptic tweet from Shams Tarania who says that Carmelo Anthony understands his role with the Blazers, that he'll play a key role on a competitive team. Is like, will he? Is he for sure going to play every night? Uh, it's There's a lot of question marks. Where does he play? Where does Derek Jones Jr. fit? And if Zach Collins comes back healthy, where does he kind of plug into the mix? Well, that is that is an interesting one because given you know, where the Blazers were last year with their forwards, it made sense that Mello started. And yeah, he contributed you know, at, at a pretty good level, at least at a level that I think most people were higher than most people were expecting. But Covington is, to me, a guaranteed starter. Like, he has to move in there. Now, his best position is probably the four. He could play the three. Gary Trent Jr. has earned a ton of minutes given the way that he played in the bubble. So yeah. someone has to lose out. Is it is it Trent? Look, Jones isn't going to start. I think we feel pretty comfortable with that. Like he is a nice 20 minute a night bench player. Hood's coming back off an Achilles, so there's going to be restrictions there. So what's your impression? That was a, a cryptic tweet from Sham. So you had some really interesting tweets about the Blazers over the last uh, over the last couple of days. But <laughs> is are you assuming that? Mallow is going to be coming in and playing that same role because I just can't see it. I think that there's an outside chance that they make him like the memorial starter in order to appease him and play him, you know, 18 minutes a game by letting him start the first nine minutes of each half. But if I had to guess if they're trying to play, you know, their best team and they've convinced Mello ostensibly that he deserves a smaller role, then it's Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood at the three, Covington at the four with Nurk at center. So it is obviously a strengthening of this squad. Um, 
yeah, even bringing in someone like Harry Giles to be their third, maybe fourth string center, depending on where you're putting Zach Collins, it's just adding that extra depth. How, you know, we can talk about the importance of having forwards and, and having defensive players, which of course Covington and Jones, that, that is what they do. But ha- right. is this is this enough to push them into that tier with say those top three teams, maybe four teams if you include the Warriors in that mix? Or are, are they still you know, perhaps lacking despite these moves? I think they step up into that second tier of the West. Um, I, they're not as good as the Lakers and they didn't, and the, the Lakers also got better. So if you assume that that, that sort of level is tier one and that the Clippers are hovering somewhere around there, I don't think the Blazers are that, are that good yet, even with this, these additions, but I think they're going to compete with, uh, with Denver. I think they're going to compete with Utah. Who knows what happens with Houston, but if they keep it together, they'll be in the mix of sorts. I think the Blazers are a, are a home court advantage type team, but probably shouldn't be in the championship conversation just yet. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fair enough because we remember this team. While we look at them as a team, yeah, they made the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago. We know the circumstances behind that. We understand that the work that Damian Lillard does with this team, but they're not particularly young. And with CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard's contracts kicking in, and let's be fair. One of those contracts is going to look pretty bad in a couple of years' time. Like they have to make these moves now because things could get a little bit hairy later on. Yeah, I mean, you. There was no reason to go developmental this off season. I think that was the concern: is that you know they had two draft picks. Maybe they take someone at sixteen and they go, they get young and they go, you know, they try to develop for the on two different timelines both with Damien Lillard and without him which is kind of what they've done recently and it's insane it's just like not a responsible way to build a roster but I think this year um, they said hey our best two players are 30 uh, our you know Yusuf Nurkic is only under contract for a couple more seasons if we're going to be good let's go ahead and be good in the next two years we you spoke earlier about Zach Collins and he had this ankle surgery um, during the bubble now, I, d- I did a bit of research on this. It was a stress fracture in his malleolus. Um, and from what I was able to see is that surgical intervention is is the best and gives the best outcome or, or best recovery time frame. But some of the recovery time frames were, were quite short. It was saying maybe it's three or four weeks. But at this point, we don't even know if Zach's going to be ready for opening night. And that's going to be a three, four month three or four months, I think we are, from, from where he had that surgery and time frame. And that, that's a little bit concerning. Can you give us the latest on Zach Collins and his health? Yeah, so he had surgery in September. He waited till the team left Orlando before he had surgery. And he has been in uh, Las Vegas, his hometown, kind of rehabbing and getting his body right. And he's expected to be back in Portland uh, basically this week to start on-court stuff and ramping it up. I think there is very, very little chance he is available opening night. Uh, I would say there, I, I would just say he isn't going to be available in opening night. He said in an interview back in August that if the season had started in January, like people were projecting then, he thought he'd be available. Like that was the timeline that he was operating under. So I would say, you know, MLK day that, you know, third week of January, uh, that's Martin Luther King day here in the United States. But um, uh, it's, I would say that late January is probably when you expect to see him. But I also think some of the roster moves suggest that the Blazers are saying, we don't know exactly when Zach's going to be ready, so let's have a lot of options in the front court. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, is that those moves do suggest that, that perhaps he is going to miss a, a decent amount of time here to begin this season. Um, how did you feel the 
Okay, so so those, those moves would suggest that, but the moves also suggest that maybe they weren't too enamored with the Nurkic Collins or you know Collins next to a center front court that they went with last year, and maybe they're just going to be playing him more as a uh, as a permanent uh, backup center. Yeah, I mean it, it would help to play him there because that's where he's best. But I think the thinking in the past was if this version of the Blazers was going to be good, Nurk and Zach Collins had to play next to each other. Like that's, you know, just sort of the future of the franchise in a responsible team building way. But now if you add Derek Jones Jr. and you add Covington to the mix and you have real options, I don't think you're as locked into that reality as much. And you can just play Zach at his best spot as a backup five. I mean, that's that's where he's if he's going to be good in the league he's going to be good in the league as a center yeah look that's exactly right that is clearly his best position but of course it, it uh it's not as easy to get him those minutes there when the second best player on the team plays that position in Yusuf right. Nurkic that that does make things a little bit harder um Harry Giles is that just like an insurance signing I guess yeah, it's a classic Neil Olshay. He loves getting players who used to play for the Sacramento Kings it's one of his favorite things to do in the whole world <laughs> shout out to Caleb Swanigan um, yeah, and Wenyan Gabriel yes. and Trevor Ariza and Kent Bazemore. Um, yeah, Kent Bazemore. Oh, oh, which order? Did, I can't remember. He went the other order. He, he went, went the other way. But uh, <laughs> it's, you know, he it's it's a classic. He you know he traded for the Zach the rights on draft night. Zach Collins was was going to be a Kings pick, et cetera, et cetera. Gary Trent Jr. was a Kings pick. They traded for. He loves doing deals with Sacramento. His favorite thing on earth. Um, I would assume that this is kind of just a. He projects as a high upside insurance policy. You know, he's got obviously huge health question marks, but if he pans out, then he's a high level backup center, really good passer, uh, you know, creative offensive player, can do a lot of different things, can can probably play a little bit of four, even though I think he's a five. So yeah, I think I think he's just insurance. And it's like if they were choosing between Wenyan Gabriel at the minimum or uh, Harry Giles at the minimum, Giles projects as like much more likely to um, be a, a useful starter type player potentially. So yeah, with all the moves that have been going on in the Western Conference, yeah, give something, yeah, what should Portland fans be hoping for here? Is this, a, yeah, they're going all in. Shams tweeted out, this is a Western Conference contender. Do you buy that same level of hope? Uh, they're definitely going to contend to play basketball games in the Western Conference, for sure. <laughs> um, no, I mean, this isn't a championship-level team. We saw, like, you, we watched the Lakers win the title last year, and we watched that team just absolutely destroy the Blazers. As good as they are, did they take dramatic steps forward to match what the Lakers were last year, and now that they've added Montrez Harrell in place of Dwight Howard? I just don't think so. I think this team is competitive. I think this team could finish, you know, third in the West, second in the West if things work out, which means that you're in the mix. You've got home court advantage. You're going to be competitive. But the idea that they're like championship level tier just seems it just isn't true. It just it it Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. do not a uh, contender make. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And uh, hey, I'm sure Portland fans uh, won't be happy with you saying that. But that is, that, that is, I think, accurate. Because look, things are, are, are hard in the Western Conference. They're going to be hard for a, a bunch of teams there. But Portland is one of those teams that has improved. Mike, thank you for coming on Locked On NBA. And people can catch all of your Blazers stuff over on Locked On Blazers. Yep, thanks for having me, Josh. 
Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever has returned with six new flavors to go with the original 12 flavors. We've got caramel brownie, cherry barcia, cookies and cream, carrot cake, lemon almond cheesecake, and apple almond crisp. They join the stable along with the 12 original flavors. All of these bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they are soft and easy to choose. They are great. If you're looking to lose weight, looking to maintain your weight, if you're an exercise nut and you're looking for a protein bar that doesn't taste like you scraped it off the bottom of your shoe, Built Bar is here. It just is like a delicious treat, but it's good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for a keto diet as well. The new Cherry Barcia flavor has 17 grams of protein with 130 calories and just four grams of sugar. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's talk now to one of the hosts of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Walker Mail is here with me. Big couple of days for the Hornets as they get the third overall pick in the draft. LaMelo Ball, obviously the biggest name in the draft. And then uh, make a splash in free agency with the uh, re-signing of Bismack Biombo. And of course, they got uh, they got Gordon Hayward there as well, Walker. Um, all right, so I guess the plan in Charlotte was to rebuild, but then the Gordon Haywood signing perhaps doesn't track with that. So what's the what's the direction here? So the direction, it was the entire time to rebuild and to not spend money on free agency and to continue to boost the roster using the NBA draft as well as maybe making some savvy signings. Christian Wood was a popular name here, and I think that would have been a good guy to target. The Rockets get him, and there were a couple of other guys like that. You know, Joe Harris was going to go for too much money, but so you know, in the end, that wasn't a move. Those were the type of free agent acquisitions I thought the Hornets were going to go for. Mitch Kupchak told us as much. He said that every single time he had any, had any press availability. Gordon Hayward, there's some rumblings that the Hornets are interested in him. I think Michael Scotto had it first, and then eventually you see him sign, and everyone is scratching their head. I know that there haven't been all of the details released officially yet as far as if there might be a sign-and-trade in the works and who could be on the outs. I know that Terry Rogier had a very cryptic Instagram post the other day uh, where maybe he could be uh, going back to Boston. And if that was the case, this would make this a lot better of a deal. Look, Josh, the direction to me, I, I think the Gordon Hayward thing throws things off a bit. When you pay a guy that's 30 years old, $30 million a year, it's a bad contract. I like the fit. I think he fits well with Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball, but I don't want to be in the business of handing out what are most likely going to be bad contracts. And I think that's what the Hornets did yesterday. I would have rather had made one of those savvy free agent signings or do nothing and just keep the $19 million in cap space and just move on to next year without doing anything else, signing your second round guys and, and just moving along. I, I could see how this would work. Like it, it'll, it'll be nice to watch on the basketball court because I think on the court, it works well. I think he does fit with this roster, but it, it definitely throws a wrench in the plans of what I thought this team was going to be doing. And in the, in the, in the end, I would lean more towards, yeah, this is a bad signing for the Charlotte Hornets that I would rather have just not done. So it's fully guaranteed. The Hornets are going to be paying Haywood until he's, what, 34, 35? Uh, I, think yeah. he, I think he's 30 at the moment. Um, and, of course, well, I was going to say to do this, they had to wave and stretch Nick Batum, but who knows what ends up happening if there's a sign and trade. But if they do have to wave and stretch Nick Batum, it, it makes no sense to me because, again, you are planning to be bad. You are rebuilding, and Batum had one year left. Rather than stretch that for $9 million each year over three years, 
it didn't make a, a ton of sense. Now, you're right. Haywood's going to make the on-court product better. He is going to step in immediately as the best player in this team. He's going to have the ball in his hands, and that's great. But when you're looking to develop the number three overall pick, Lamelo Ball, which we'll talk about in a second, and he wants the ball in his hands, when you've got a breakout guard like Devontae Graham, when you paid a ton of money for Terry Rozier last season, another guy that needs the ball in his hands, when you've got Miles Bridges and PJ Washington in your front court, every one of those guys has to take somewhat of a step back. And that, to me, just puts the developmental path on the back burner for what to push for the eighth seed? Maybe are, are they good enough for the eighth seed? I, I just the the direction is is pretty confusing. It, it is confusing, and and look, I actually think it's a better fit. I, I think Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier can play better off ball, and so that's actually why I kind of like the Lamelo Ball pick. I think he, being a bigger point guard that has the ball in his hands, he Lamelo Ball definitely needs the ball in his hands with his lack of shooting. That that's somebody that I don't trust at all playing off ball. But Devontae Graham has become a really good shooter, and to be that secondary ball handler to LaMelo, I think makes a lot of sense. And Terry Rozier, I think the best skill set he might show to any NBA team is his catch-and-shoot ability. That was really exploited here with Charlotte when Devontae played so well in those first 10 games. They started both of them, and it was really Devontae running the one, and Terry, his catch-and-shoot numbers really took off. I, I think when you move Terry to the bench and then bring Gordon Hayward to the three, if you're starting Ball, Devontae, and then Gordon Hayward – and then you're looking at probably PJ and Cody. Maybe you're going Miles, and and that that's going to be a fascinating starting rotation. But it, to answer your question, yes, it, it's 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 a move I would not have liked to make. I would have rather had Gordon Hayward go to Indiana or one of these other teams. Maybe the Knicks would have spent all the money on him, and the Hornets would have had you know Lamelo Ball and all these guys develop. You go at it again in the NBA draft, where you're not going to make the playoffs next season. Then you're in the sweepstakes once again for a Cunningham or whoever. You know, any of these guys are going to be at the top of the draft. And that would have made a lot of sense. That would have made the most sense. Again, it, it's weird because Gordon does, to me, I th they, they need help at three. He fits on the court. But this is a bad contract, paying $30 million a, a year to a guy that is over 30. And the only, the only thing that makes this okay to me, Josh, is if you if – you, Send Terry Rozier back. If, if, if it's not the Nick Batum sign and, and, and stretch, stretch provision, and it's like, okay, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But if they send Terry Rozier back to Boston, that actually allows Devontae Graham and, you know, LaMelo Ball to – Terry's not going to eat any of their minutes. He's not going to, you know, take away any of the, the, you know, the things that they can do. And then you have Gordon Hayward. That actually makes some sense to me. But if they don't, then yeah, Josh, th this is something I would have avoided. And it's pretty frustrating that they decided to make this move. I have one theory before we talk about LaMelo Ball is that given the, the economic situation, the, you know, the pandemic, the, you know, the lack of – I guess, well, the way that people have, you know, I guess less expendable income around, that getting a player like LaMelo Ball, getting a big name like Gordon Hayward, one of the biggest names on the free agent market, the Hornets just said, well, do we, do we just actually need to get some sort of interest on our team now? Even if it's bad for the future, we just need something coming in here that's going to look we've got the, the number the pick with ball that's it there's the hype let's double down on that let's make us a team for at least the next six months that people think about and if fans are allowed in there's going to be something for them to watch now because we don't want to get hurt completely like this and that's just a thought that came to my head and it may or may not be right but let's talk Lamelo because I thought the Hornets killed it with that pick you know I thought I had Lamelo as my number one player in the draft I don't know where you had him and for him to just fall at three they didn't have to give up assets which they were talking about to move up in the draft 
whether that was to draft Mallow or to draft Wiseman, whatever it was, they didn't do it. They didn't waste anything like that, and they picked Lamelo Ball there. Um, I think it's a fantastic move to, to make that selection when he falls into your lap that way. Is that the general consensus around Charlotte? Yeah, people are excited. I mean, because even if you look at him and you're severely scared of the jump shot, if you don't think he's ever is going to improve on defense, which I, I, I think he will, even if you think the flaws are too much to justify that pick, people still have it within their hearts that this is going to be fun. I mean, he is the most exciting player in the NBA draft, bar none, with the flashy passes that he's had in his repertoire all the way back, that we've seen this guy perform since you know being a freshman at Chino Hill. So he puts the Charlotte Hornets on the map in a way no other prospect would have and no other prospect has done, man, maybe since Larry Johnson. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, what's the other guy that would have put them on the map? Kemba was exciting because of his Big East tournament run and championship run. But even still, LaMelo was a guy that had the biggest and caused the biggest increase in internet traffic for his franchise of any other player that was selected. And the Hornets, I think, had the most ticket inquiries after the NBA draft was concluded. So, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. When it comes to the basketball standpoint, I just mentioned it a little bit ago. I think he does fit well with this backcourt. I think he can start at the one, have Devontae even start as the two, and you can run both of those guys in the backcourt at the same time. I think that his size really helps because even if Terry Rozier, Devontae, and LaMelo all play at the same time, which James Borrego said here in Charlotte after they made that pick, then at least you do have some size of the six seven six eight type of point guard to really help them he doesn't finish well at the rim Devonte was one of the worst finishers at the rim last season in all the nba that's a problem i do think his size can certainly help that and hopefully borrego can expound on what that potential could be his shooting does have to get better but overall i do like the fit here with the charlotte hornets and he is going to be a lot of fun the pick and roll is going to be a lot of fun with pj washington who I outperformed everybody's expectations. I, I really liked the pick, Josh. And, and more importantly, I loved that the Hornets did not give up any assets to move up to one or two. I would have been furious had they done that. I didn't think this is a draft that warranted that. And instead, they take the consolation prize. And, you know, that's a pretty damn good consolation prize if it's the number one overall pick in a lot of NBA analysts' minds. Yeah, I think that they did fantastically. And I, I'm not going to talk about them picking two centers within 10 picks at 32 and 42. I think we can uh, we can leave that one uh, alone. But it's a, a huge, huge move. I think they did really well to get Grant Rilla as well at number 56. Right. So some big wins, maybe some not so uh, other big wins with uh, the Hornets and their offseason. Walker, you'll have it all covered for us all over at Locked On Hornets. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA. It's always fun, man. Thanks again for having me. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, Matt Shock, is here with me today. Matt, it has been a wild few days for the Detroit Pistons. Wild. I Absolutely. I, for one, have no real idea what's going on. Maybe you can uh, help us out with that. Yeah, the Pistons are, like you said, it's been crazy, first of all, in terms of the the whirlwind of moves that's happening. And I've been thinking a lot about this today, Josh, because everything was just happening so fast and so furious. But it seems like Troy Weaver, other teams around the league, and particularly in, in Oklahoma City where he came from, in New Orleans, it's like the, the the rebuild situation, right? It's the accumulation of assets. It's the value signings, all those kind of things. Troy Weaver is taking a completely different turn on the way he's building this team, and it's culture and players, right? It's figuring out a way to overpay a little bit to get a guy like Jeremy Grant in here, uh, giving probably the worst and most ridiculous contract that that, that will happen this offseason in Mason Plumley, but still a useful player who could help this team kind of go forward. Again, 
you might be talking about a ceiling of uh, barely getting into the playoffs over these next couple of years. But, and, and that's strange because a lot of people want the tank and want to go backwards, but we know the incentives for the lottery are a little bit different than they were a few years ago. So my short uh, story and short take on this is that culture and the players and types of uh, giving guys who are pretty good contracts, like they're very good, giving the Delon Wright type guys who have been pretty good in their roles, a little bit of a more of an expanded role and uh, in, in giving them chances and minutes. Now, uh, the young guys, the Seku Dumbuyas of the world, the Sadiq Bays of the world, guys like that who probably need some minutes. It's hard to see how that's going to happen, but you still got some young guys. You added Zaire Smith a few minutes before we taped here in a deal for Tony Bradley. You added Josh Jackson as well on Friday night. So there are some shades there that look like a typical rebuild in the NBA sense, but there's also uh, kind of a disregard for value and assets which is different than things we've seen across the nba and we'll see how troy weaver's approach to it works over time yeah that's the confusing part is in trading away andre drummond for nothing last year so he didn't opt in so you had the cap space all right so we're tearing it down you make a selection with killian hayes all right he's is he going to be our point guard of the future let's hope so that's that's the move they're making and then confusing picks on draft night to me with the trade of Luke Kennard plus four second rounders out to get pick 19. Selecting Isaiah Stewart with pick 16 was confusing for me as well. And then, you know, just we know that the, the meme of Pistons acquiring centers. Now two of those guys have gone. Dwayne Dedman's been waived already in a trade for Tony Snell, which enabled them to you know, stretch his cap space over two over five years instead of three to give them cap space to sign guys like Jeremy Grant. Like nothing just seems like it, it makes sense together. And while Mason Plumlee is useful enough as a backup third string center, what's he doing at 30 years of age, you know, on a three year deal on a team that's probably going to be bad. You know, Jeremy Grant comes to Detroit on a you know, three year, $60 million deal because he wants more offensive opportunity. Like that's not a good way to develop your young players. There's just a lot of confusion. And with the protections they put on the Rockets pick, they can't, really trade a first round pick for a while their cap sheet is sort of all messed up now with some of these longer term deals and i've seen a lot of pistons people or pistons fans are there well that's fine yeah we'll just trade these guys for assets like these guys aren't assets like mason Plumley on a three-year deal is not really an asset so you're not getting premium value back on these sort of contracts so to me the, the, the process while there's parts of it which are encouraging and i think you're yeah, taking a flyer on someone like zaya smith in that tony bradley trade is fine the overall idea or what the goal is of Weaver in this franchise, to me, is pretty confusing. Do they want to make the playoffs? Do they want to get bad? Or I don't understand what they're trying to do. I think that they're trying to be competitive, and I'm not saying it's the right move, but I think that Tom Gore is the owner, wants to drum up some excitement around this team. It's the same thing we've talked about for the past 10 years with this team, and I know the team, most fans here in Detroit are fed up with that, but then you have the small segment of the diehards who I'm sure you've heard from on Twitter oh, yeah. this weekend, like I have too, that are just like they're, they're hungry to get as much success as possible, and I'm not saying that's a great long-term plan, but again, totally agree. If, if, if you were and I were talking last week at this time and you would have told me, yeah, you're giving up four seconds to get rid of Luke Kennard and get shaky value back in that return anyway, and giving up a future first round pick, uh, you know, for, for 16 in the draft this year and uh, any kind of world where you're starting a rebuild by stretching money out for the next five years. These are against the com completely against the grain of what we think of as traditional rebuilding right now in the NBA. 
And again, Troy Weaver just got hired here. He deserves some time. And this is a completely different approach from the money ball scenarios and the, the world that we've created with these MIT guys and Daryl Morey and all the things that are going around the, uh, on around the league. Now, although in, in Weaver's defense, I would argue that some of these situations have backfired a little bit, right? And I know the Boston Celtics are a great team right now, but the acclimation of all those first-round picks that Boston did, and they drafted well on the high ones, but a lot of those picks ended up being not very useful for this team. Now they've got like a long, a log jam at the end of their rotation of guys that are not really that useful, not really that tradable. So the old idea of lots of picks in the teens and the twenties, uh, that hasn't always worked. And not to say that it won't work in Oklahoma city, it won't work in new Orleans, but maybe some of these future picks are a little bit overrated at times and Troy Weaver is obviously kind of going all in on that strategy and saying, let's get the types of players that are maybe written off a little bit that, yeah, we're going to overpay on some of these guys. There's no way you're trading Mason Plumlee for two and a half years. Uh, Jeremy Grant's probably not going to live up to $20 million a year over these next three years, although a fine player. So, yeah, it's not the traditional rebuild that we're used to here in the NBA. And I'm not saying it's right or it's even going to work, but there's something to be said for saying – these are guys I identified. The strength of Troy Weaver was his his eye in finding talent, his eye in finding the type of players that he wants to bring in. Obviously, wingspan is a big thing with this team, and uh, we're going to see it right away, the types of players that he likes. This won't be a good team next year, but it's certainly going to be a different one than last year and something interesting to watch, at least for the beginning of the season, before the inevitable mediocrity at best probably creeps in after that. I'll say one thing, like, Signing Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley, or Jeremy Grant to be like a primary offensive option and Mason Plumley be a starting center uh, while giving those guys money, it is a good way to be bad because the, in those roles, those guys are, are not going to succeed. So they probably will end up tanking, but through no, like through a, a, a roundabout way because in putting those guys into those roles is going to lead to some pretty ugly basketball, I think. Um, what does this mean for Blake Griffin and Derek Rose? Like there was a lot of whispers. Hey, the uh, Grant and uh, Plumley deals are enough to equal a sign and trade with Denver, so Griffin can go there. That's it's not going to happen. Uh, are we going to see Blake Griffin and Derek Rose on this team? But when we get to uh, May, I don't know about May, but certainly the beginning of this year, it seems I don't see a world where either of those guys are moved before the season starts. I think that you know Blake Griffin is still a, a, a negative asset at this point, but as time goes on, maybe any rebuilds hopefully some of that value by showing that he's uh, able to play on an NBA court that would be helpful and uh, Derek Rose I'm a little bit pessimistic that he's going to follow up last uh, last year's very good season with another strong season given that his his injury history and, and really to his credit how strong he played last season so I think his peak value is right now as opposed to the trade deadline coming up whenever it's going to be this year. So I would trade him, and I've been saying trade him since last February. So I'm the wrong guy to uh, to kind of interrogate about that. But Derek Rose is someone that Dwayne Casey likes a lot. They believe in this organization that he's going to be someone who could shepherd this team going forward, especially talking about Killian Hayes. And another thing about Plumlee, I don't want to make this all about ripping on Mason Plumlee because, first of all, Credit to him for getting a lot of guaranteed money. Credit to his agent, Mark Bartlestein. Good for them on that regard. But, you know, a, a, a good toughness guy, a good uh, locker room type of guy, a good pick and roll guy to help Killian Hayes' development. Again, not, not what you want as your starting center, not what you want to be giving three years of guaranteed money, not what you want to be giving $8 million in this climate, in this 
era of basketball, but a useful player and someone who might be helpful to the future of one of the more important Pistons going forward being Killian Hayes. Yeah, Mason Plumley from all reports, great, great bloke. So, yeah, getting that sort of money is fantastic for him, fantastic for uh, his agent, of course. Maybe not so good for the Pistons, but it is going to be interesting. There is you know, young players here. There's Dumbaya, there's Hayes, there's Bay. Um, yeah, there's reclamation projects like Zaire Smith, like Josh Jackson. So there's, there's a lot to see with this Pistons team. I'm going to be super intrigued to see if they do make any other moves. And, of course, Matt, you'll have that covered for us all over on Locked on Pistons. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it.